Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 18th day of February 2023, in a world and a nation that has clearly gone way, way beyond insane at this point. I'm your host, Mark Call, and let's start off our look back today with a story that's been festering now for the better part of two weeks. Largely ignored, certainly lied about and covered up. And the more we find out about it, the more we realize this is probably the biggest ecological disaster, environmental catastrophe in American history. But even up front, it was still clear this thing was suspicious for a bunch of reasons. And of course, I'm talking about the train wreck, although was it an accident or worse, in East Palestine, Ohio. And what we'll do here this evening, in contrast to what I often do, is start with some of the latest information, and if we need to, go back and fill in some of the gaps. For example, there are videos of the train axle that uh, at least supposedly caused the derailment, literally sparking and uh, overheating for 20 miles prior to the time that the train went off the tracks. There are some other things that are kind of interesting. I think most of the listeners probably are aware of the details by now of what's happened, although the uh, waste stream is still not talking about it, and they lied to people in order to get them to come back in there and breathe some cancer-causing crap. But it turns out this was the one that I think is damning. This is from News Punch, and they say that the CDC, that's the Center for Death and Control, edited the toxicology profile for vinyl chloride. That was the thing that was essentially at the root of the massive poisoning of Ohio and the Ohio River Valley. They edited the toxicology profile and massively increased the lethal exposure levels, and they removed information about how the chemical affects children just two weeks before the oh-so, dare I say it, yeah, convenient train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, that spewed vast quantities into the environment. Worse still, as most people know, one of the worst, most idiotic decisions in government was made when they decided to puncture the tanks. Oh, we might have an explosion. Well, what they did was they had a massive fire that spewed this crap up into the upper atmosphere. But not only that... More importantly, it burned the vinyl chloride, and the result is the World War I chemical gas known as phosgene, but among other things, all kinds of dioxins, and dioxins are among the deadliest chemicals, most cancer-causing, known to man. So um, the CDC update changed the lethal exposure from 100 parts per million, get this, to 100,000 parts per million. They upped the limits that would be just fine for those Ohio residents to breathe by a factor of 1,000. They hadn't changed it for 17 years before they decided, hey, maybe it's a good time to derail a train. Oh, let's not pull any punches, folks. Is this oh so coincidental? We've had lots of other train derailments, but the level of incompetence here boggles the mind. Then you have the guy whose only real qualification for being Secretary of Transportation is what he does in the bedroom, who's incompetent to drive a car, much less be Secretary of Transportation, hasn't even really, up until they finally hammered him on it, even commented on it. And this is in spite of all the other debacles going on in the transportation system, which is being gutted and destroyed. This is arguably the biggest proof yet, as if we needed it, and as if the mass poisoning of millions upon millions of Americans and people worldwide via the Zyklon B injections wasn't enough. Uh, Now they're dropping it in the skies and the rivers. And it turns out it's not just phosgene gas up front and the kind of pollution that's obvious and immediate. It's what they did to make it worse that ought to really raise Americans' ire. And the more the more comes out about it, and notice it didn't come out until well after they had lit it up and distributed it all around. 
But uh, I've got another story that says, yeah, hydrochloric acid, acid rain, that's bad stuff, sure. But it's a piker compared to what was not just in the tanker cars, but what authorities did to it next. This one comes from NC Renegade and says the headline, it's the dioxin. No, it's not just what was in the tanker cars. It's what happens when they burn and combine. This may be the largest dioxin plume in world history. And says the author, I know of no more serious release ever. And yeah, it begins, that is the word missing from most coverage of the massive train wreck, whether it was accidental or incompetent or something else in Palestine, Ohio. The word missing is dioxin. There were reported to be 14 tanker cars full of vinyl chloride, a precursor to polyvinyl chloride, that is, vinyl. Burning vinyl, though, is the most serious source of dioxin in the environment, whether it's from trash incinerators, house fires, or chemical spills. Because vinyl chloride is a precursor chemical to making PVC, anytime chlorinated compounds burn, there will be the release of dioxins. And dioxin, it turns out, is a byproduct of any manufacturing process involving chlorine, from disinfectants infectants to the bleaching of paper, and there was plenty of dioxin in those tanker cars before they caught fire. But the real mess is the following. Fourteen tanker cars, and there were really many more than that, but fourteen of them had vinyl chloride, was then set on fire deliberately by the idiots in Big Brother government, state and federal, apparently to make it easier to clear the railroad tracks, or at least that's what they're telling people, as they're dying or preparing to die. This was, says the author, the worst possible decision, because it turned many, many miles of territory into what now should be no man's land. But I've not heard of a single test for dioxin being done, says the author. There's an old saying among lawyers, folks, that goes something like, don't ask the question if you don't want people to hear the answer. Still, it affects a very large region of the country. It's not a local issue at all. The massive plume will spread far and wide and is being blown by the prevailing winds across Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York State towards the population centers of the northeastern U.S. Oh, again, folks, it'll make a great excuse, though, to divert people from the fact that it might be their weakened immune systems and weakened cardiovascular systems and heart and lung function that kill them as a result of taking the poison poke, the Zyklon B injection. And a weakened immune system, of course, can also cause cancers that might have even been in remission to come back more virulently. At least at a minimum, the waters are being muddied now, aren't they? Which ironically tends to protect all of the guilty parties, regardless of who really actually was the main culprit. And whether it's via land or water, the toxins can spread in many directions, via water, soil movement, and air movement, since the prevailing winds are only an average, and the contamination is so serious that even soil tracking will spread significant amounts of the poisons. While few people remember how the town of Times Beach, Missouri, was evacuated and then purchased by the federal government. Hey, I grew up in Missouri, folks. I remember that one. After which it was leveled and had its zip code removed. And that from far, far less dioxin contamination than what has now happened in Ohio. It's now a state park, though, the author notes, but I'm not sure who'd want to have a picnic there. There's another problem, too. Dioxins are hormonally toxic, and two, they're also extremely persistent, and they build up in the food chain, generally in lipids. Huh. Where have we heard that word recently? Oh, yeah. Lipid nanoparticles. But all of the BS projected onto viruses is absolutely true when it comes to dioxins, though the contagion factor is different. Running through families, for instance, pass through mother's milk, affecting whole communities through toxic release and so on. Dioxins, though, are connected to every other toxin issue that's ever lived, from DDT to PCBs to Roundup. They're orders of magnitude above, though, and their effects 
The author provides some links on that score. Still, most PCBs are close enough to dioxins to qualify as such, and PCBs degrade into something called dibenzofurans, also just called furans, which are dioxins with one molecule of oxygen instead of a pair of them. Dioxins are never made intentionally, though similar toxins are, but dioxin per se is a byproduct of other chemical processes or a degradation product. The bottom line, there is a lot more to what's going on here than gullible, dumbed-down Americans are being told. And at least that ought to sound real consistent by now. This is going to lead, says the author, to an early death for millions of Americans. For those exposed directly to Ohio and East, to the contamination of water that people will drink, all the way to the Mississippi River, to contamination of food grown in the areas deemed to be safe by criminally incompetent and genocidal government bureaucrats. If you live downwind, says the story, you need to get the hell out of there. Move, whatever it takes. If you live anywhere else that's not affected, grow as much of your own food as you can so that you're not consuming dioxin-laden poison disguised as food. And as if that wasn't bad enough, folks, remember, they're going to stick various types of mRNA, not vaccines, in the food now, too. So be very aware of what you're eating, because Big Brother wants you to eat bugs and poison, and not much else. What they've done here is they've destroyed the farmland. Anything that's organic in here, any food that you would uh, get from the Ohio River Valley, you don't want to eat anymore. This is nasty. It's serious. Whether it's incompetence or by design is um, immaterial as far as people dying. But I will suggest that when you combine it with all the other things we're looking at here, it's hard to believe that this kind of incompetence happens by accident. Oh, and there's more. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, he was involved in the decision, evidently, to burn this crap. But he revealed that the Biden regime has actively refused to help East Palestine, which just happens to have voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. But it turns out the federal government is saying, oh, yeah, we'll send all of our stuff to Ukraine. But Americans can go F themselves. Oh, it's, it's hard not to be angry about this. We could care less about Americans dying, their pets, their fish, their crops being destroyed, their goats and cattle dropping dead, the uh, wildlife in the area. They claim that Ohio is, quote, not eligible for assistance at this time. And that's, again, from the governor of Ohio. Eh, nope, nothing for you. Finally, folks, we need to make sure we don't lose sight of this. The Ohio of the river basin is bad enough. It dumps into the Mississippi, and then it goes all the way to the Gulf. So this has the potential to affect the lives and the health of millions upon millions of Americans. Now, there's another aspect to this that I have been mentioning. I haven't heard it talked about on the, the waystream media. No surprise here whatsoever. So I don't mind repeating it and emphasizing the importance. There are a whole lot of people in those same affected areas that are now subject to additional risks for cancer and lung and, and heart and uh, pulmonary issues, you name it, because of poisons like dioxin and, and phosgene and so forth that they have been exposed to. How many are going to die? A lot of fish, chickens, and animals have certainly already died. But here's the bigger issue that I think needs to be at least discussed, and that is a lot of these people have taken their poison poke. They've got their two or three or 17 injection boosters, and and their immune systems have already been destroyed, i.e. they're more vulnerable than they were to being killed by various kinds of chemicals, and especially cancers that will now be further advanced by the the dioxin release and the other things here. So what does that mean? What it means is, this is fu- it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. You have Big Pharma basically saying, you can't prove that we killed you with the poison poke. Ha, ha, ha. We did lie about the data. We wanted to try to keep it secret for 75 years. It's come out that these things are not only not helpful, they're physically harmful, and lots of folks are dropping dead from strokes and uh, blood clots and other stuff, but cancers are going to be the longer-term killer. Well, guess what? 
They have just conflated the mix. This is like destroying the chain of evidence. So now what you have is this wonderful situation. If you're a railroad or big pharma where you say, oh, the railroad did it. No, big pharma did it. No, the railroad did it. Well, you can't sue us all. You can't prove it. Ha ha. I guess you're just going to have to die. Oh, by the way, you can't have your house anymore either because it's ruined. So on every front, this is like one hand washing the other so that they can kill more people and laugh about it all the way to the bank. From there, let's go to a story that would be comic relief if it wasn't such a disaster and, oh, by the way, such a smokescreen to cover up the other kind of incompetence that results in the military destruction of a once-free country. And it's the kind of thing that I waited till I saw confirmation on to report because what I first heard did sound a lot like a joke. A kid's toy balloon was how it was being sold. That's not exactly the case. I'll introduce it this way by saying, yours truly, your host... I have been a ham radio operator since before I could drive a car, so a long, long time. For many years, I have uh, never done it myself, but I have certainly watched people do it. And um, amateur radio operators have launched things via balloons literally for decades now. And you can buy a nice weather balloon. Uh, it turns out now you can get one on Amazon for 13 bucks. It's a great big balloon. They sell them for parties, too. But these are these Mylar balloons, and uh, they will carry aloft a little payload. Sometimes they're called Pico balloons. I can remember, I don't know how, 20, 25 years ago, seeing articles about B-car, balloon-carrying amateur radio or a repeater. And they would send a balloon up, and the balloon would have a little repeater on it. It would provide coverage over a wide area. And then uh, once GPS became available, they put little GPS trackers in there, and they would do um, weather things, radio songs, and, and weather balloons have been sent up for years. Hams do the same thing. And they can get telemetry back and report winds aloft and altitude and GPS tracking information. You can see all kinds of good stuff. It's fun, and they've been doing this. I bet you there have been thousands of these small balloons launched by hams worldwide. Well, here you go. This is the story. And to their credit, the first place I saw it actually talked about was the Daily Mail out of the UK. They're in turn reporting a story that was done first by Aviation Week. And it says this in the headline, Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade in Illinois. They're a ham hobby group has uh, now come forward and said, now they actually tried to say this before. The uh, the fellow that was the head of the, the organization that manufactures these balloons said, I tried to talk to the military, to the FBI. They basically gave me the runaround. So it's not like, you know, you hear, oh, nobody's come forward. Yeah, they have. They've just been ignored. Anyway, the Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade ham radio operators claim that their $13 weather balloon, the last time it pinged, in other words, sent data back down to the ground crew, was uh, just hours before the F-22 brought down the so-called UFO with a, a half a million, $400,000. But hey, when it's Big Brother, what's a hundred grand, right? In the same area. So here's the thing that's so amazing. The mystery balloon, it actually had a ham call sign, K9YO. So remember, these things identify themselves, and it was pinging. You would have thought the military could do the obvious and say, hey, let's let's check the ham frequencies. Oh, yeah, there's some Morse code telling us the telemetry from this balloon. I bet maybe that's how they tracked it. In any case, um, the balloon last reported its location just before 1 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time on Saturday, February 11th over Alaska, and then a um, F-22 was scrambled. Get this, the last elevation that the balloon reported itself at was uh, 37,928 feet. So it reported 37,928, and the military reported they shot down this UFO at around 40,000 feet. 
And that's pretty close, and pretty close in every direction. So basically, the ham club is saying, you shot down our balloon, and not only that, you used a $400,000 Sidewinder air-to-air missile to do it, and you let the Chinese balloon, on the other hand, float all over the country and send back telemetry. What's going on here? Answer. Isn't it obvious? Oh, and a couple more things, too, just so we get this in perspective. This particular balloon, said the Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, had already circumnavigated the globe six times before NORAD and the U.S. military spent 400 grand of newly printed money to blow it out of the sky with a Sidewinder missile. And I guess when it comes to comparisons with a 200-foot diameter Chinese spy balloon carrying hundreds of pounds of payload and potentially everything from spy optics to a nuclear EMP, and maybe hypersonic glide missiles, too, all of them more threatening than a ham hobby Pico balloon. Based on envelope volume and therefore payload, we're probably talking about a factor of a 1,000 or so. And here maybe you'd hope that the U.S. military and NORAD could tell the difference. But obviously, when it comes to spending taxpayer bucks like they were candy in order to CYA, you can see what's really important. Oh, yeah, and one last thing. I guess you could call this another bit of damning evidence. CBS News reported that, in fact, the U.S. intelligence agencies did track not only the launch of the big Chinese spy balloon and its track up to and across the United States for over a week before they decided, yeah, their masters are paying them well enough. Let's let it go ahead and fly across the country, gather what information they may want, and maybe even do anything worse. Who cares? It's not like we're supposed to defend this nation anymore, is it? But wait, there's just a bit more before we move on. And you better remember how the Biden viewer bragged that your guns are no good against F-14s. And once we're done getting our way, you're not going to be allowed to keep them anyway. Maybe fighter jets aren't as good as shooting down some things as you might have thought. Yeah, you probably heard this part of the story hyped. The military on Sunday shot down an unidentified high-flying object. No, not a balloon, or maybe it wasn't a balloon, flying above Lake Huron. The New York Times reported the Air Force took out the UFO with a Sidewinder air-to-air missile in a strike ordered by the dynamic, senile Puppet Master. And this, of course, was before we learned how they had so dynamically taken out a Pico balloon. But Fox News reported on Monday that it actually took two $400,000 Sidewinder missiles to bring the object down, because the first one missed, whatever that one over Lake Huron was. And notes Fox, the heat-seeking missiles cost about $400,000 a pop. So that's several dozen American taxpayers' total contribution to Big Brother's largesse for the year that literally went nowhere, or did it. Turns out it may have landed, said the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Marxist Milley, somewhere in the lake. And here maybe you thought Big Brother had managed to make 22 ammunition expensive. Here's another no-brainer, no-surprise story, and kind of an appropriate segue, too. There's been another mass shooting at a gun-free killing zone, this time at Michigan State. As of press time, said Zero Hedge's update on Tuesday, police haven't named the dead suspect, but he is a 43-year-old black man not affiliated in any way with Michigan State University, and they said, quote, we have no idea why he came to campus tonight, unquote, although some of us might suspect, yeah, you do, and he killed three people and critically injured five more before turning the gun on himself and ending it all. Now, to be honest, folks, these stories have gotten so common in the gun-free killing zones, of course, that your host generally doesn't even bother with them. But this one certainly has a couple of interesting characteristics worthy of note. For example, while the manhunt was underway, police held a press conference announcing that, quote, initial information is that the suspect is a black male, shorter in stature, wearing red shoes, a jean jacket, and a ball cap. They actually have pictures, and guess what they don't list in that description? Oh, yeah, he was wearing a mask, too. 
and he seems to have roamed around that gun-free killing zone masquerading as a college campus for quite a while. But here's what the Waystream Press isn't emphasizing the way your host thinks they ought to. He was violating the campus's no-gun rule. How dare he? I guess he didn't really care that it was a gun-free killing zone. Or just maybe, folks, he knew it and took advantage of it because it made for easy pickings. The msu.edu policies and procedures page notes that the entire university workforce, except for their rent-a-cops, are prohibited at any time while on property owned, leased, or otherwise controlled by the university or in the course of their employment anywhere from possessing or using any firearm, even if they have a concealed weapons permit or otherwise authorized by law uh, to uh, keep and bear arms. Now, this would almost be funny if it wasn't so stupid, or as has been obvious for years now, catastrophic. Here's a story, actually two of them, dating back almost exactly one year from local media in the MSU area. Michigan State University prohibits students, faculty, and staff, any of them, from carrying all firearms on campus. However, it said, visitors with a concealed pistol license, CPL, are allowed to carry a gun on campus, so as long as it's concealed, they can get away with it. But the Students Against Gun Violence idiot group at MSU is trying to change that rule. Are you ready for this? No, they don't want to be able to carry guns to protect themselves from exactly what just happened. They want to make sure that concealed weapons are prohibited. Well, unless somebody comes in carrying a concealed weapon like this guy did for the obvious reason of killing the disarmed sheeple without anybody being able to respond. One of the students against gun violence snowflakes said, I don't think we've done enough in the past. I believe everyone should feel safe going to work or school, and getting this rule changed is a great step toward a safer environment. Here's another quote from the same airhead, different media outlet, who said, There's really no foreseeable reason for people to be carrying firearms on campus. Well, unless, obviously, they intend to do exactly what this guy did without armed opposition from the intended victims. More of the quote, um, students can't carry firearms, faculty can't carry firearms, so it's essentially just visitors on campus carrying firearms, she said, unquote. Yeah, you got it. Let's just ignore facts and history and I'll pretend that gun-free killing zones aren't exactly what both of those things prove they really are. What a bunch of uneducated, dumbed-down ninnies. It does make me wonder, folks, if any of those sheeple who survived their near-death encounter might actually awaken at this point and get a clue. On that score, I have one interesting story that I've had sitting on my desk for a couple of days now, but it fits here, and it might especially resonate with some of those MSU students, I can't help but suspect. U.S. ban on pot users. Owning guns has been ruled unconstitutional. It's yet another defeat for the gun grabbers, says Zero Hedges Summary. A federal law claiming to bar marijuana users from owning and possessing firearms, Second Amendment be damned, of course, has been ruled unconstitutional. And in a 54-page ruling handed down in Oklahoma, U.S. District Judge Patrick Wyrick said the government cannot claim that defendant Jared Harrison's, quote, mere status as a user of marijuana justifies stripping him of his fundamental right to possess a firearm, unquote. And that, says the piece, is just the latest of many rulings against gun restrictions following in the wider wake of last June's watershed U.S. Supreme Court ruling called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin which established a test that federal judges across the country should now apply, if they feel like it anyway, when evaluating unconstitutional gun control laws. Since the meaning of words like shall not seem to escape them. No, it's not do they infringe something that they don't know anything about anyway. It's is this new gun control infringement, quote, consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearms ownership, unquote. 
Big Brother says the story, not wanting any of the peons to have anything with which to defend themselves against what is obviously planned, is expected to appeal the decision. By midweek, but before the bodies were even cold in Michigan, the grave dancers were doing their very predictable thing. Anti-liberty socialists in Michigan, a.k.a. the ruling progressive party, are now looking to expedite their new anti-constitutional gun laws after the most recent demonstration of what happens when you prevent law-abiding citizens from defending themselves against wannabe mass murderers who already don't pay attention to their idiotic gun control laws. This one from the Washington Examiner and TGP, among others. The Democrats won. <laughs> At least whoever counted the votes gave them both houses of the Michigan legislature in the rigged 2020 midterms. So now in the aftermath of the MSU shooting and the gun-free killing zone, they're rushing to infringe on the rights of the law-abiding people who had nothing to do with it and were indeed prevented from preventing it. All right, nothing new or even surprising there. So how about this? Also courtesy of Jim Hoft and the Gateway Pundit, the shooter there at MSU who conveniently took his own life, so it's kind of tough for people to track down all the facts before the news cycle conveniently forgets and moves on, just might have been a prohibited person who wasn't even supposed to be allowed to have guns anyway. There's a message here, folks, and one thing you know for sure is the same folks who want you dead would prefer to have you disarmed first, so they don't want you to hear that either. And we'll be right back. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening, and I am again your host, Mark Hall. We'll start this one off with a sequence I'm going to call News of Outrages that even top previous outrages we've almost gotten inured to. And where, oh, where to begin? I guess we'll start with the personal and work up to the profane. From Australia, down under, where freedom and individual rights have long been a thing of the past, but they just keep up in the ante. A mother of two from Victoria, Australia, has been denied the chance to undergo a life-saving heart transplant, says the Gateway Pundit's coverage, because, you know it, don't you, she refused to take the Zyklon B injection, yeah, the so-called COVID-19 vaccine, despite even having a medical exemption. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And this next one is so outrageous, albeit really not that surprising, that I'm going to go right to the horse's mouth. And yes, I did touch on this one in the first segment, but still, it's funny to hear the whole thing. Tuesday's CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell. Back here in Washington, there is breaking news tonight on that Chinese spy balloon. CBS News has just learned that U.S. intelligence watched the high-flying airship as it lifted off near China's south coast. That means the U.S. military had been tracking it for nearly a week before it entered U.S. airspace, longer than originally known. What? Who could have thought it? Yet another lie revealed, but also yet another indication that the regime actually does really truly want to destroy the country, economically, politically, socially, and of course, militarily. Well, that Chinese spy balloons have their way with U.S. defense, because, hey, we know they're calling the shots anyway. But if it gets a bit too hot in the kitchen, we're more than happy to pop off a half-million-dollar Sidewinder missile, or three or four even, to take out a hobby balloon and toss up some smokescreen. By the way, this does cause your host to believe, even more than I did before, that CBS News and the other elements of the Ministry of Propaganda are deciding finally to stick a pin in the Biden fuel balloon. 
This next one's outrageous, too. Not so much because we didn't already know they want kids dead and giving them the Zyklon B injection for a pandemic illness that basically isn't a threat to them, while sterility, strokes, and heart attacks, arguably are, is only part of the story. In spite of study after study, they still want to stunt developing brains with oxygen-depriving masks. Oh, yeah, and we want you to be socially addled, too, by not being able to read people's facial expressions. Because if you don't die, at least you'll grow up to be a docile little propaganda slurper. But it shows the attitude. They just don't care that you know they want them that way. On Tuesday this week, U.S. Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers confronted the so-called CDC director, that really, this case, stands for the Center for Death to Children, Rochelle Walensky, during congressional test lying on the COVID pandemic, pointing out that yet another study published on July 30th by the Cochrane Library, a world-renowned medical database famous for high-quality evidential reviews, which the representative called, quote, another scientific nail in the coffin for mask mandates, asked the head scumbag if the Center for Death to Children will now revise its guidance on masking in schools, since it's been shown that they're worthless, at best, in preventing any spread of the disease. And the answer? Basically, no. And what are you going to do about it? Our masking guidance, she said, doesn't really change with time. No, folks, it doesn't. It doesn't change based on evidence either, and it sure as hell never had anything to do with science. And even though we talked about this story up front, when it comes to outrages of the week and perhaps of the century, we do have to at least touch again on what else came out this week concerning the accident, or was it, of that train in Ohio. So bad that you have to ask the obvious question. Is it merely incompetence at a cataclysmic scale? Almost beyond imagination and with a cover-up to boot? Or is this one so idiotic that you have to ask, is it really intentional? And not just the incompetence that led to the uh, accident, but what the so-called experts did next. Like burning all of this deadly stuff so that the result could be phosgene gas and things that are ultimately even worse. Not just in the air, but the water too. And as I noted in the first segment, the dioxin aspect of the equation still isn't getting the coverage it deserves. But maybe here's yet another indicator that more and more of the press has had it with the Biden fear and planned destruction masquerading as incompetence. First, and perhaps no surprise coming from him, Tucker Carlson on his show Tuesday night let the American people know what was really going on. The headline, this is a disaster. But it was his Fox News compadre, Jesse Waters, who really put the pieces together in an excellent summary, incorporating a number of bits of eyewitness testimony, people who are suffering as a result of government incompetence or worse. Ohio's own version of Dr. Mengele Fauci, who said, hey, don't worry about it. It's just volatile organic chemicals. You get the same thing when you fill up your car, although he ignored the fact that they didn't use car fumes to kill soldiers in trenches in World War One. Here's just a couple of his highlights. The government has the video of the train derailing, but won't release it. The skies over East Palestine were filled with 50 tons of toxic chemicals, a toxic mushroom cloud, chemicals like vinyl chloride. It's now in the clouds causing acid rain. The community says it's like someone dropped a toxic nuke on them. They're understandably worried, folks. They see death all around them, and maybe they're starting to figure it out. These people really don't care whether I live or die. So poison gas is lighting up the neighborhood, and government doctors are saying, you know, your runny nose, your headache, probably just the common cold. Wait a second, a year ago, you couldn't go to the gym unless you were double vaxxed with a mask. If you coughed, you had to isolate for 10 days. So what's going on here? Okay, well, he's asking it as a question. I think we already know the answer. It was never about public health or safety. Really. 
They really do want you dead. And everything that we've seen for the last couple of years makes it abundantly obvious. And now a train goes off the tracks. They light it on fire. It's probably going to give everybody cancer. And the president calls a lid. These chemicals are flowing downstream to West Virginia. And we haven't declared a national emergency. We declared a national emergency over monkeypox. And there's no national emergency here. National emergencies, folks, are being used for the purposes of control. This is about killing people. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget, it makes a great excuse for covering up the deaths due to the even bigger environmental and health catastrophe of the pandemic and the two-part bioweapon that has infected, I'm sorry, injected over a billion people now worldwide. They're already dropping like flies. They certainly need another excuse to blame these sudden unexpected adult deaths on. And I guess you could say this literally muddies or maybe even poisons the waters. Biden was too scared of letting a single piece of debris from a balloon fall in Montana. But he's okay with cancerous chemicals in our rivers? No, folks, not just okay. You think the very same people that are double-dog deer on the Russian bear to nuke us, go ahead, nuke us, care even a whit about chemical weapons being deployed over a large part of the Ohio River Basin? There's a message here. We've heard it time after time after time now, and it's no longer even thinly veiled. There were more outrages from Arizona this week, too, and that's on top of the stolen election. In this case, it's that 73-year-old Arizona rancher who's been arrested and charged with first-degree murder for daring to shoot an illegal alien. No, he didn't come down from a balloon. Trespassing, and it turns out there's more on his private ranch. And it looks like the more we hear about the story, the more we realize what's really going on here. Fox News put it this way, quoting defense attorneys. He saw a group of men moving through the trees around his home, all armed with AK-47 rifles, dressed in khakis and camouflage clothing, and carrying large backpacks. None of them were known to him, and none of them had his permission to come onto his land. Because he was understandably concerned and reasonably feared for his and his wife's safety, as well as his animals, he called the Border Patrol Ranch Liaison, specifically assigned, <laughs> or so we're told, to aid people living on the borderlands to report what he'd seen and to, quote, summon immediate help. After which, the leader of the armed group saw Mr. Kelly and pointed an AK-47 rifle right at him. So fearing for his life and his safety, he fired several shots from his rifle well over their heads, hoping to scare them away from him, his wife, his animals, and his home. And they ran off into the desert. Only after they had fled did Mr. Kelly walk over to his barn to see if it was safe and secure. But as the sun was going down later that day, Mr. Kelly went to his pastures to check on his horse, still concerned it might have been injured in the incident, and noticing that the dogs he took with him were focused on something in the bush, he approached and observed a body lying face down on the grass, whereupon he called Border Patrol. The story says here for the third time to report the discovery and request assistance from law enforcement. And it's pretty obvious what happened after that. The ranch says his defense lawyers was surrounded by fencing with no trespassing and private property signs posted everywhere. George Allen Kelly is an elderly man who was in fear for his life and acted quickly to protect his wife, property, and animals. And defense lawyers say that Kelly had a right, since he clearly feared for his safety, to shoot the invaders anyway under Arizona law. And I can't help but think, notice how increasingly the law doesn't seem to really matter much anymore. Here's one from the Gateway Pundit on the false flag insurrection known as January the 6th and what looks like a setup. According to a motion submitted this past Friday by an attorney for the Proud Boys, it appears that Big Brother itself is the author of a mysterious document entitled 1776 Returns. It supposedly outlined strategic plans for the takeover of U.S. government buildings on January 6, 2021. And guess what, folks? 
It may have been written by none other than Big Brother's own agents. The mysterious document says the piece was sent unsolicited to Proud Boy Enrico Tario immediately prior to January 6th by a love interest named Erica Flores. But it's been revealed that Flores reportedly testified to the J6 committee that a government official was the actual author of the entirety of the 1776 returns document and that this FBI and CIA member or associate asked her to share it with the love interest Enrico Tario. Says the motion by attorney Roger Roots, it appears that the government itself is the author of the most incriminating and damning document in this case, which was mysteriously sent at government request to Proud Boy leader Enrico Tario immediately prior to January 6th in order to frame or implicate Tario in a government-created scheme to storm buildings around the Capitol. It's called Exhibit 528-1, and the government's efforts to frame or smear the defendants with it constitutes outrageous government conduct, said the attorney. This is either entrapment or outrageous government conduct or both. Equally improper, it is a Brady violation. In other words, it's sculptory evidence that was not revealed as it should have been to the defense because the Department of Justice must surely have known these revelations before putting Special Agent Dubrowski on the stand on February 9th to introduce this ahem evidence. If true, said the attorney, this means that the most damning document in this trial was authored by the intelligence community, someone groomed by the FBI itself, he said, and the CIA and FBI asset requested Tario's friend share this document with him just prior to January 6th allowing jurors to be informed of this written plan to fill buildings with patriots and to be left with the impression that it was part of Tario's or his co-defendant's plan, as opposed to a setup. And it's unknown, says the story, if Tario read or even opened this document sent to him by a man named Samuel Armes through Flores. Here next, our daily Bond villain update, and who better than Klaus Schwab? He makes Ernst Blofeld look like a pussycat-loving softie. And here he is at the World Government Summit in Dubai, saying that whoever masters these technologies, from the metaverse to AI to synthetic biology, will rule the world. And I agree. Artificial intelligence, but not only artificial intelligence, <clears throat> but also the metaverse new space technologies, and I could go on and on, synthetic biology. Our life in 10 years from now will be completely different, very much affected, and who masters those technologies in some way will be the master of the world. And we will run them. We'll move on now from outrages to a series of under-the-radar stories that primarily get local press and may or may not paint parts of a bigger picture. For example, this one from Alabama, where a Black Hawk military helicopter on a routine training mission suddenly and mysteriously plunged from the sky, impacting near a highway a few miles northwest of Huntsville, killing both on board. We had no survivors, said investigator Brent Patterson. We have a crime scene here. We have it taped off. In the age of cell phones, the crash was recorded on video. It certainly appears to be spinning almost vertically out of control. And the National Guard Bureau has confirmed the helicopter belonged to the Tennessee National Guard. Condolences are being expressed to the family of those killed in the accident. And at this point, there's just one thing we pretty much know for sure. Investigators will eventually tell you what the cause of the crash was, unless it turns out to have been mandatory vaccinations. 
Here's a throwaway story from the Epic Times about a Yale professor who's also on board with global genocide. He recently proposed euthanasia as a solution to aging populations. Yasuke Narita, assistant professor of economics, that's what they call it at Yale anyway, said, I feel like the only solution is pretty clear. In the end, isn't it mass suicide and mass seppuku of the elderly? He also stated that there was a possibility of making it mandatory in the future. And remember, folks, they've been trying to convince you the Zyklon B injection was a vaccine. Here's another one of those, you knew it was coming, it's pretty obvious, and they're coming out and admit that stories. Another throwaway. The managing director of the International Monetary Fund, Big Brother's global bankster, Kristalina Georgieva has warned that the world needs to prepare for billions to die. In this case, it's following the imminent outbreak of World War III. Well, no, I don't think she's got that right. World War III has broken out. It would be the imminent escalation to what they've been jonesing for, and that would be nukes. Oh, and for bonus points, can you guess where she said it? Yeah, this one's easy. At the World Government Summit panel hosted by CNBC's Hadley Gamble in Dubai on February 14th. I'm going to call this next story a related one. Europe has spent hundreds of billions of euros in energy subsidies to individuals and businesses in order to shield the citizenry from the EU-caused energy crisis. Oh, and let's not forget the biden fuel bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines. In order to pay for the sky-high energy bills resulting from insane EU and NATO and U.S. policies, which left the continent dependent on unreliable and insufficient so-called green energy sources, followed, of course, by the destruction of anything that they declared to be not green, European countries have forked out over 700 billion pounds, or almost 800 billion euros, to shield businesses and households from soaring gas prices since the start of the uh, green-inspired energy crisis, according to the latest research from Bruegel. As oilprice.com reported earlier in the week, the think tank has calculated that since September 2021, the EU has either earmarked or spent $681 billion in energy crisis spending, while the UK has allotted $103 billion, Norway just over 8 and guess who was the biggest spender? Germany, by far, splashing out the equivalent of almost $300 billion fiat bucks in September of 21. And this because, the story says, even before Russia invaded Ukraine, EU countries, and especially Germany, grew reliant on Moscow's fossil fuel energy because they didn't want to tap their own resources out of fear of appearing hypocritical while they built ineffective windmills and solar farms. And there's an irony in this next observation from J.D. Hayes of Natural News, too. The exorbitant spending has certainly taken a toll out of government budgets and may even be affecting other line items related to the so-called Green Revolution. For example, in Germany, sales of EVs tanked after the government ended most subsidies for them, perhaps because of the added expenditure of subsidizing electric bills, and hey, they didn't have the power on the grid to run the stupid things anyway. How much of a subsidy would it take to convince a German to buy an EV that he's not going to be able to charge? Oh yeah, and speaking of blowing up pipelines so that the European Union can be plunged into cold and darkness, the bombshell from Seymour Hersh revealing just exactly who, as if we didn't already know, blew up the Nord Stream pipelines, is being virtually ignored by the waste stream ministries of propaganda in the United States. But at least RT is paying attention. Journalist Seymour Hearst says the story headlining more bombshells to come has promised to reveal more incriminating information linking the U.S. to the demolition of the Nord Stream pipelines after the Biden fewer ordered them destroyed to prevent Germany from resuming the purchase of cheap Russian gas, he claimed. In a post to his Substack on Wednesday, the Pulitzer Prize-winning former journalist for the New York Times slammed the waste stream media, singling out his old employer and the WAPO for refusing to run, quote, a work 
third on his pipeline story and for ignoring Russia and China's calls for an international investigation. Both papers, he said, published his exposés on the U.S. military war crimes in Vietnam, but they're now seemingly uninterested in, quote, national security or matters of war and peace. The White House, confirming that the story is absolutely true, declared them to be, quote, utterly false and complete fiction. Just remember, Biden is intellectually sharp as a whip and is the most popular U.S. president ever elected. And, says RT, the article has backed up what Moscow seems to think would be obvious. Their repeated assertions that the U.S. carried out the strike in order to prevent rapprochement between Russia and Germany while making Berlin more dependent on more expensive American liquefied natural gas, or LNG. On Wednesday, Hirsch wrote, there may be more to learn about Joe Biden's decision to prevent the German government from having second thoughts about the lack of cheap gas this winter. Stay tuned, he said. We're only on first base. For today's pedophilia update, or is it pedicide, we turn to a piece from Lance D. Johnson at Natural News about a case manager at a transgender center in St. Louis Children's Hospital. And I do have to say sick after that, don't I, for several reasons. The former counselor and case manager at Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital is now speaking out. Jamie Reed, age 42, who for almost four years worked at the Washington University School of Medicine Division of Infectious Diseases, giving counsel to HIV-positive young adults who identified as transgender or gender nonconforming, says now that, quote, what's happening to children is morally and medically appalling. She relayed her own compassion to the youth she counseled, having questioned her own gender identity several times throughout her adolescence. However, when she took up the job as a case manager at the new transgender center, she began seeing the operation for what she says it really was, an abusive, predatory operation that confused youth, destroyed their identity, while chemically castrating and physically mutilating their bodies. And I guess that's a pretty decent summary. Writes Johnson, the sole purpose of the so-called transgender clinic was to treat, treat, treat kids with gender dysphoria as soon as possible and as permanently as possible too your host can't help but think the treatments were not centered on helping the child realize and accept their true god-given birth gender no they were instead designed to chemically alter their birth gender and cause further confusion about who they really are no confusion though when it comes to what was eventually going to happen to them concerning reproduction and that was nothing Jamie Reed brought into the clinic around a 1,000 distressed young people who were immediately handed hormone prescriptions, which caused further distress, never addressing the underlying psychological and emotional issues that the teens faced. Jamie saw with her own eyes, she says, the side effects and life-altering consequences of these prescriptions, and in many cases, the youth were permanently sterilized. Quote, I left the clinic in November of last year because I could no longer participate in what was happening there, she writes. By the time I departed, I was certain that the way the American medical system was treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we're permanently harming the vulnerable patients under our care. When she started at the center, she got about 10 calls per month on average, but by the time she left, the number of damaged kids seeking puberty blockers and synthetic hormones had exploded to between 50 and 70 cases per month, and many had their underlying health conditions completely ignored, from depression and anxiety to ADHD, eating disorders, obesity, and autism. And when she questioned the use of hormones and surgery for any child, she was quickly derided by her peers as being a transphobe. Jamie saw an influx of young patients who were deeply disturbed, who had suffered through one or more childhood traumas, and instead of addressing the actual issues these children were facing, the therapist often gave them the green light for gender transitions as the solution to all of their problems. 
Quote, left untreated, gender dysphoria has any number of consequences, from self-harm to suicide, says the center on their website. This message alone proves that these transgender centers, says Lance Johnson, are violently coercive. They condemn patients to psychological demise and certain death if they don't go through with puberty blockers, synthetic hormones, and surgeries. All of which, says the author, is a hopeless message. This is medical malpractice. This is a blatant and coercive lie. Amen. Here next is a story that I'll admit I take with a grain of salt because of the source, which is msn.com. But nevertheless, it raises some interesting questions. In October of 2022, it begins, a number of cattle were discovered dead near the town of Meeker in the mountains of Colorado. Officials from CPW, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, said in November, after 41 cows were found dead, that they couldn't confirm the cause. Some of the cattle, but not all of them, appeared to have injuries linked to wolves, said the officials. However, they didn't find any wolves that were none detected in surrounding areas. Some cattle didn't have any injuries at all, at least not anything visible. So they said maybe they were caused not by wolves, but by, quote, large canines. Anybody else see something there that just doesn't quite make sense, folks? Carter Niemeyer, wolf predation expert and former U.S. Department of Agricultural Wildlife Services District Supervisor, was supplied with the documents on the incident by the Humane Society of the U.S., and he said he saw no evidence of wolf-caused injuries. From the documents, I guess they were left unscathed by the wolf attacks. But notice, folks, the article never says the expert examined any of the dead animals. But maybe it was something else, because they were all at high altitude. Occasionally, that could cause heart failure. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Still, though, all of them appeared to have died quite suddenly, and all at once. Hmm. But even that hasn't been confirmed. Now, here's the thing I think is interesting, folks. This mysterious incident came to life as gray wolves are slowly beginning to make a comeback in Colorado. The animals used to be abundant in the state before they were eradicated in the 1940s, because they killed things like cattle and kids, and a lot of people decided, huh, the old stories about wolves were true, we don't want them here anymore. But now it seems the idiot leftists in Denver that think they run this state are trying to reintroduce wolves, whether the people who actually live in the areas that they want to destroy want it or not. The old predation menace. Proposition 114 was allegedly approved by voters in the rigged 2020 general election. And you have to figure, folks, that if it really did win, it was by people in Denver and Boulder who don't know anything about the mountains anyway and don't really care what happens to people out there in flyover, well, hikeover country. Who knows? Maybe once a couple of Boulder hikers get et, that might change their minds. The decision, says the piece, though, is still controversial among the general public in Colorado because there are folks that don't like the idea of reintroducing killer wolf packs to roam wild and kill cattle and kids. But you can hopefully guess who just loves the idea. <laughs> 